You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is The Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. Pictures, so it's from when I was one. So, Are you kidding me? So, how's anyone supposed to know? We're just you? gonna take a picture of you today. So, <laughs> I've been seeing my baby picture. <laughs> well, I had made my mind up. If you guys ever asked me to do this, I was gonna say no. Oh, because <laughs> tell us what, why. Yeah. Because I have to be careful f- with my motives, and I wanted to do it. If I did it, I wanted to do it to honor God, not to receive approval. Growing up, my mother never was satisfied with anything I ever did. If I made something, it was too short or it was too long or the wrong color or, you know, and when I got married, she told me, even though you're married until you're 21, I'm still your boss. When we got married and I put my dishes in the, she came and changed them. So I was absolutely gonna say no. Well, we're glad you did it. So here I am. Changed your mind. Here I am. People's stories impact other people. I still have a problem with that today. From her, she's with Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That is so interesting. But I mean, it would totally make sense. The idea of having issues with approval later. Yeah, it'll be fine. Well, I hope so. It will be. <laughs> have you listened to? I've I've been listening to them all. I mean, I'm still catching up. Yeah. But I feel like it really does speak to people's spiritual lives. It does encourage their faith. But I feel something else that I've really been encouraged in is that it really lets people get to know each other. And I've had so many people say, I didn't know this person, but I always wanted to. I was watching them from a distance. So yes, I think it'll honor God. But I think you'll be surprised how many people are like, just feel connected to you in a way. I feel like the connections have been some of the coolest. Well, I'm having a hard time remembering everybody's names and connecting them with, oh, they helped on Operation Christmas Child, you know, or whatever. That's why Hey You works. (laughs) People are always like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. What's your name again? Hey, I'm fine. You don't have to remember. Well, a lot of times people say, what's your name? And I'll say Henry. Oh. (laughs) And why I ever started doing that, I don't know. (laughs) That would be confusing. (laughs) Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Hank. It's Jose. And we are here today with Henry. A.K.A. Marilyn Emmerich. So good to have you in the podcast studio today, Marilyn. I hope it's good to be here. We're yeah, glad you came. It's good to be here. Even though you said, if they ever ask me, I'm going to say no. <laughs> but she changed her mind, and we are graced with her presence. Marilyn was born in Youngstown, Ohio, and raised on the south side of Youngstown. She's got one sister who passed in 1990. She went to Monroe Elementary, Hillman Junior High, and graduated from South High School, where she was a majorette. She started working at 16 as a slipper girl at Strauss's in downtown Youngstown. Pause. (laughs) A slipper girl? I was allowed to sell slippers at Christmas as a Jingle Bell. They hired Jingle Bell people, kids. 
They had three floors of shoes, and you started on the first floor, and then you could move to the second floor, and then you could move to the third floor. Were slippers on the third floor? Yeah, they were real expensive. Are those the ones you sold? No, I, w- I got to the second floor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then was ended up being hired there as a full-time employee. Well, part-time during high school, and then hired full-time. And then I got to sell shoes. <laughs> world. She's worked many different jobs. She worked in her dad's bar making pizza, Sears in the uptown and the mall. She worked on an egg farm washing candling and sizing eggs. Is candling a word? Yeah, you put the egg in front of a light bulb mm-hmm. and check it for blood or something that's not supposed Never heard of that. Can't tell she- those. She drove the school bus, cleaned houses, and then she found her dream job. She worked for the Mahoney County Board, MRDD. It's now the County Board of DD. For 30 years, from which she retired in 2007. When she was 13, while walking home from school, she saw a gang fight at Hillman Street and Falls Avenue. There were two boys who were being beat up by another gang. And she asked, who's that big kid? And she was told, that's big George Doopy's brother. And she replied, he's mine. That summer, she set out to meet him. And to make a long story short, that August in 1957, they started dating. He spent three years in the Marines and she spent four years in school and asked him to marry her three times before he said yes. Oh my she asked him why he finally said yes, and he said he didn't want to hurt my feelings. He said she was too young when they met. In August of 1961, they were married. He was 21, she was 17, and they had 57 wonderful years. He oh. passed on October 9th in 2018, which has been the hardest thing she's ever gone through. They have one daughter, one son, six grandkids, and three great-grandkids. She took enough classes at YSU to get two raises at work. She likes lots of things. She likes tent camping, and her favorite hobby is knitting. And we saw a sweater that she was wearing one Sunday that her sister started and she finished. It was amazing. She's been at the upper room since June of last year after much prayer and trying other churches. And she came here after spending 40 plus years at another church, which is a long story. But we're so glad to have you here today. It's good to be here. Thank you. (laughs) And we're glad to have you at the upper room, too. You know, this is God-ordained because I prayed and prayed, and I I had been at the other church forever and ever, and I just thought that's where I was going to be buried from, you know. And And they closed, right? And they closed through no fault of our own. I mean, it's a long, ugly story. But I prayed about it. I visited other churches. When I pray at home, I walk in a circle. Because I live in an, we live in an old farmhouse, and I was walking and praying because I didn't want to go to church. I knew I needed to be in church, and I knew that I wanted to go to church, but I didn't want to get connected with people again, and get hurt, because I had been with some of those people all those years. You know, I was walking and praying. I did not hear an audible voice, but I heard in my spirit, "Do you believe I'm sovereign?" And I said. Yes, I do. Out loud, I said, yes, I do. And he said, then what's your problem? So I knew I had to get serious about finding a church. And I had called and spoke with Pastor Greg, came to visit in, I think, May or June. I came once, and then I came back and have been here ever since. What drew you to this church? God. Because in my brain, when they closed the other church, it was, okay, I'm not going here, and I'm not going there, and I'm not going there, you know, and this was one of those I'm not going to. 
I had no reason not to, but that was in, you know, my brain. We were on your banish list. (laughs) (laughs) Really, it's just, I don't know. Oh, I feel like that's normal. I feel like you know or you hear about churches. And I feel like with every person, you have preconceived notions. Well, I had never heard anything bad about Upper Room. Oh, well, that's nice. I mean, it was just, I wasn't going to drive very far. Mm-hmm. Not at my age on baloney. I want a close church, and this was close, but... And here you are. It's because and God making sent connections. me here. Yes. Yeah, I believe God directed this and sent me here. But I feel like you've been so willing and open-hearted about making connections with people. You would be, too, if God asked you what your problem was. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So tell us, Marilyn, who or what turned your light on? When I was young... This was something else that I still have some problems with nowadays. I have to be careful. Because when I was in elementary school, my parents never took us to church. My sister and I walked. We lived on the south side of Youngstown, and we walked to the Presbyterian Church on um, Market Street in Dellison. It's uh, one of the prisons now. The church has been taken over by that CEA or whatever that prison thing is all over the south side. We walked there to church. The pastor's daughter's name was Marilyn. And her and I became friends. We were the same age. And we were outside the church one day playing, and we were talking. And I said, well, yeah, it's okay. Jesus went to the cross, but it doesn't matter because he was God's son, and God made it so it didn't hurt. She said, what? And I said, Jesus is God's son. He made it so it didn't hurt. She said, come with me. And she marched me right into her dad's office. Tell him what you just told me. So he set me straight. But in the back of my head, that still pops up. During junior high school, I went to Camp Lambeck on Lake Erie, and we would have vespers in the evening up on a hill and overlooking the lake, and the sunset was behind us. And the first year I went, they had three candles, and you were to accept Jesus as your Savior, rededicate your life, or light a candle to become a missionary. The first year, I lit the candle that I wanted to accept Jesus. From then on, I lit the candle to be a missionary. And all my life then, I I wanted to be a missionary. And then George came along, and things changed. But he always said I was his biggest mission field. He was raised Catholic. Um, You had your eyes set on him since you were 13. Right. He had a terrible upbringing in that he was the oldest of six, and they treated him awful. Even his brothers and sisters said how terrible they treated him. I set out to change that. And, And he told me later on, he said... I never knew love until I met you. He was my mission field. When he would come home from leave, he would always go to church with me. He was very faithful, sang in the choir, went to church, I mean, very faithful. And I knew when we moved out to the country that I had to find a church. I wanted an independent Bible-teaching church so that he would get saved. One Wednesday night, we walked to the neighbors behind us through our orchard. They said, well, it was really nice of you to come visit, but we're getting ready to leave for Bible study. I said, oh, what are you studying? They said, oh, the book of Daniel. And I said, oh, okay. So they said, well, come back some other time. We'll be real happy to meet you and da-da-da-da-da, you know. So coming back up through the orchard, I said to George, I'd love to go to that Bible study because I had studied Daniel under another lady. Side story, when I was working at Strauss's at 16, I met a lady who had said to me one day, she said, if you die, do you know you'd go to heaven? And I said, yeah, I do. And she said, well, do you understand? I mean, do you know in your heart that you're going to go to heaven? I said, yeah, I do, you know. Well, we got to be very good friends, and we would go to Bible studies 
Strauss's opened like at noon then on Thursdays, and we'd go to Bible study on Thursday morning and then go to work, you know, and we had prayer in the in the stock room and all that stuff. So I, you know, I had people along the way that, and I thank God for them all the time, fed into me. So back to George, I said to him, I would like to go to that Bible study because I had heard Nell Kulo teach it years and years and years earlier. He said, well, call him up and ask him if you can go. So I did. And when we pulled into the parking lot and the church said United Methodist, it was like, this is not what I wanted. I wanted an independent Bible teaching church so that I could get George into the kingdom. Oh my gosh, the pastor was fantastic there. And that's where we ended up starting the church that I left. We left that church and started another church. And then that's the church I ended up leaving after 40-some years. Did he get saved at the United Methodist Church? He did. It wasn't very long. He wasn't there very long until he accepted the Lord. And it, it was just amazing to see the difference in him. He loved the Lord. When we would be driving to Columbiana to, to the school to have church, we were at the corner of Route 7 and Heck Road. And he said, the church is going to be on one of these corners. I don't know which corner it is, but the church is going to be on one of these corners. And it was. That's where we built. That's like with my dad. My dad was an alcoholic. I never knew my dad sober until he quit drinking. And I was already married when he quit drinking, and that's why I hate alcohol. I know what it does to people, and you never know when you take the first drink what that's going to lead to. So I am deadly set against alcohol. That's just me. But when, when we moved out to the country, my mom and dad needed a place to live. And I dearly loved my father. I loved my mother, but that's a whole other story. She was difficult. I did not want them out there. I didn't want them by me. And George said, Marilyn, we've got all this land. We can let them put a mobile home here. I, so I started praying, and I said, I don't want them here. I don't want them here, and the only reason they can come is if they accept you as their Savior. That's how I talked to God. So um, they did end up moving out, and a couple of the guys from the church, the Methodist church helped them dig sewer lines, run electricity, do all this stuff. And they, he said to them, what do I owe you? And they said, nothing, just come to church. Well, my mom and dad started going to church. And one night I was going to Sears to work, and I knew that the pastor of the church, Bill Beria, was coming over to visit them that night. The whole time I was at Sears working, I was praying, Lord, let this be the night. When I got home from work, he was leaving their trailer and coming up through the yard, and he was a Southern Baptist. He was from Mississippi, and he had Maryland. They did it. They did it. They knelt down, and they accepted Jesus, and I was so excited. Oh, my dad, to see my dad in church, and when he would pray, I'd elbow George, and I'd say, that's my daddy, because there was such a difference in him. And my mom and I got, okay, but you know, until the day she died, she never ever once told me she loved me. She had triple bypass surgery. I went to the hospital early that morning before her surgery, you know, and hugged her and told her I loved her and stuff. She never even then said that she loved me. Two weeks later, she passed a blood clot to her heart and died. My kids very rarely get out of my presence, whether it be text or phone or person, that I don't tell them I love them. Anyway, that's kind of how it all When you happened. were little and you and your sister walked to church, did your parents tell you to do that or did you just... I can't answer that question. I but don't know. 
I've gone on several mission trips. I went to um, Mexico at least three times. And George was having a fit because we were going to Tijuana to an orphanage to work. And uh, I said, George, just stop and think about it. He said, I know what Tijuana's like. I was in, went there when I was in the Marine Corps. I said, just think about it. If I get kidnapped or something, how long do you think it's going to be until they call the consulate and say, come and get this woman? <laughs> because I can be, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, you didn't get kidnapped. And, and you I, made it home. home yep. And I uh, went to uh, Thailand Did and you? worked in a children's home over there. That's always been, missions have always been my thing, you know. And so interesting that it's continued to be children. Is that purposefully done? Yeah, God must have done that, you know. Because, I mean, even now with the boxes for children, that's really right. beautiful. Right, So what lights you up? You're going to lead with missions. <laughs> I, I love missions. I hope to someday go again somewhere. You know, that'll have to be God-directed. But I worked in junior church at the other church for like 25 years. And I worked with the youth, and I've worked, I mean, I've done a lot of different things for the Lord. But like right now, I'm working with Johnny Erickson Tata Wheels for the World, collecting wheelchairs. And that's one I originally had called Pastor Greg to ask him about us holding it here, not intending to come here, but just I needed a place to hold the August wheelchair drive. We spent like 45 minutes on the phone and then it's history. The rest is history. (laughs) So Marilyn, tell us, in this season of your life, how are you letting your light shine? I used to listen to Johnny Erickson Todd on the radio, and I wanted to do that someday, but when I was working, it wouldn't work. She has retreats for families, family members that has a disability. I did that, I don't know, maybe three times. I met Megan Osborne at one of them. She was there and I was there. So that's how I met Megan. It was a wonderful opportunity. And from that, I went to a meeting about collecting wheelchairs. So now I'm a drop-off representative. I'm on their website, and people can call me, and I go all over the place. Pennsylvania, I go all over the place picking up wheelchairs. And then once a year, they have a Northeast Ohio drop-off day. That's how I called Pastor Greg to find out if we could have it here, even though I didn't go here, but I just wanted to be able to have the wheelchair drive here. That's, that's how I, God put me here, because I do believe he did put me here. And then I also work with Franklin Graham, Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child. We do shoeboxes. Connected with the shoeboxes, they have what they call the greatest journey, and it's a 12-week Bible study that every child that gets a shoebox is invited to come to this study. That's where they learn about Jesus from start to finish. And when they have a shoebox giveaway in a village or town or whatever, they go in ahead of time and prepare the churches in the area, the church that's going to be involved, workers and stuff, training them and teaching them what they need to be able to do. They have like a, I'm going to call it a one-day party or whatever. I mean, they invite the kids from all over the neighborhood to come. They share Jesus. They pass out these shoeboxes, and then they get to come. Anybody that wants to then can come to the greatest journey. And when they finish the 12 weeks, they have a little graduation ceremony with caps and gowns and get a certificate, and they get a a New Testament Bible in their language. And so I, I enjoy doing that. I just enjoy doing things with my grandkids. They're just the light of my life. I have three in Ohio and three in Pennsylvania that I don't really know because I hardly ever see them. And you have another daughter? I have a son. And that's a story, too. We adopted him. 
Our daughter was 11. We never had any other children. He was four and a half months old when we got him. His birth mother, I don't know how to nicely say it, she wasn't very nice. Was she abusing drugs? I believe he was addicted when he was born to either alcohol or, I mean, he would go through periods of the day where he just cried and cried and cried and cried. And I just rocked and rocked and rocked him. So we got him April 1st, which we laughed today because he's our April Fool baby. We got him April 1st. In October, we got a letter that his adoption was going to be finalized. We were all excited. George came home from work. He was a driver salesman for RC Cola came home from work and was painting the house. And he was painting up at the peak of the, the highest peak of the house on the side of the house. And I was sitting on the couch with the baby. Well, he wasn't a baby by then, getting close to a year old. He was born in November and this was October. I heard George yelling, whoa! And I looked out the window and I could see the electrical wires just flapping in the breeze. And I ran outside and looked on the ground because I knew he was on the ground. He looked like somebody took a rag doll and flopped it on the ground. I said, what happened? Are you? He said, the ladder kicked out. I said, well, okay, lay here. I'm going to go call. No, no, no. He said, just don't call anybody. Just let me lay here and rest a little bit, and then I'll, I'll get up and come in the house. And, and I said, okay, uh, let me, I'm going to go get you a pillow. So I ran in the house, and uh, well, I ran in the house and got on the phone and called church. And I said, Judy, I said, I have no idea what's wrong. He fell off the ladder. He looks like a rag doll out in the yard, but tell everybody to start praying. Then I went and got a pillow and took it out to him. So he laid there for a little while, and then he got up, and he was in agony. And I had to help him get up the steps into the house. He sat in the tilt-back chair. My mom and dad came home, and I met them at the door. My dad came in and said, he said, we're going to the hospital. He said, come on, get up. And George said, just give me a minute, just give me a minute. He went to get up, and he was in such agony, he just fell back in the chair. We took him to the hospital. He had broken his back in two places. And he walked in the house, the silly man. But that's the kind of person he was. That was like on a, a Thursday. The next day, I called our caseworker and explained to her what had happened. And she said, oh, that's no problem. It'll be, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Thanks for letting me know. He was in the hospital for a week. When he got home, she calls on the phone, asked to speak to George. And I thought to myself, something's wrong, because why wouldn't she just talk to me? He talked to her. It made arrangements for her to come the next day. He got off the phone, and he said, they're stopping. My son's name was George after his dad. His family, don't, they don't know how to name people. There was his grandfather, his uncle George, his cousin's George, his cousin George's son, my husband. They were all George Wilson Emmerich. I knew he had to have a nickname, because I, and I didn't want Butch or Junior or GW or something, and we had come home from church one Sunday morning, and he was laying in the playpen, and I was fixed, finishing up dinner, and I came in, and I, oh, man, I dig this kid. I really dig him, because when we were kids, teenagers, that's what we said if we liked something. We, yeah. I dig it. And he said, what are you going to call him? And I said, Digger. And to this day, many, many people still call him Digger. So he said they, they want to stop Digger's adoption and that she wants to come out and talk to us. So she came out and talked to us, said that if he wasn't back on the pop truck on his regular job, making his regular amount of money, they would take him from us. I said, what about our daughter? If we can't afford him, we can't afford her. Are you going to take her too? And she said, no, 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 no. It's we were pretty okay with it, and she was amazed that we were okay, that we didn't freak out. So then we called our lawyer. He did something so that—I don't know what he did, but George told the people where he worked, 
you know, and they said, well, they created a position for him. For a while, I had to drive him to work because he couldn't drive. He was in this brace and stuff. They created a job. He went in, watched the loaders and unloaders of the trucks so that he could make some money. We knew that wasn't good enough. He went back on the pop truck in January. The week he went back on the pop truck, we called the lawyer and said, he's back on the pop truck. He said, okay. He had to take off work that Friday to have the adoption finalized. And when George went back on the pop truck, his customers said to him, we never thought we'd see you again. And he said, I've told you my God is a great God. I, you know, I believe God, you know, you ask about miraculous things. I believe that was the miraculous thing that he did. So now to my question. <laughs> do, you, do, you have, do you have any more? Do you want to share one more supernatural story? Can I do two? Yes. Okay. We knew we wanted to go to the country, and we would go for rides in the country looking for property. We wanted to be in the country. He called me one day from work and said, I'm going out, and I can't remember the kid's name. I can see his face. I'm going back out on the pop truck with so-and-so. He's got to take out another load, and I told him I'd go out and help him. So then when he came home, he said, he said, tomorrow, that was on a Thursday. Tomorrow night, I'm going with him to see his cousin's farm in New Springfield. He wants to sell it because he's a highway patrolman, and he works in Columbiana. And he, so he went out to see it and then came came home that night and I asked him about it and he said, I'll just, I'll take you to see it in the morning. And I said, well, tell me about it. Da, da, da. Well, no, we'll, we'll just go see it in the morning. Come to find out, he dearly loved the place, but didn't want to say that because he didn't want me. He wanted to know that I liked it, not just I liked it because he liked it. So we made arrangements to buy this farm. We had to borrow a thousand dollars off my parents. We took over his mortgage and didn't know how in the world we were going to afford a $141 house payment. Back then, things were different. So we started praying about buying this house and getting the house. And we told all of our friends, we've prayed about this. This is where we want to go. But if God does not want us to have this place, we, will, we won't get it. We know that he has something better in store for us. So we're, you know, and non-Christian friends couldn't believe that we would even pray that way. Well, we were supposed to move in, and two weeks before we were going to move in, he called us and said he decided he wasn't going to sell it. And we said, okay, that's fine. Thank you very much. When we told our friends we weren't moving, and we truly were okay with it, at peace. They couldn't believe that we were that at peace. Really, truly didn't, you know, we believed God had something else in store for us. He called us one night at 10 o'clock at night and said, I changed my mind. I want to sell it. Would you still want to buy it? And we said, sure. And we moved in two weeks. We moved. In the middle of December, we were, in the new, we were in the country. I said to George, God was testing us. He was testing us to see if we were going to be okay with him telling us, no, we couldn't have it. God has used that property in such a way. I mean, was used for God in so many ways that I know God wanted us to have it, but he checked us out to make sure we were going to be truthful to what we had. And a little side story. When George was in the gang and was beat up, he was a royal knight. That was his gang that he was in was the royal knights. 
they wore Levi jackets with Royal Knights on the back, and I was never allowed to wear his jacket because he didn't want me to have a Royal Knight jacket on and get something happen to me. And then when he became a Christian and got involved in Royal Rangers, he just had the biggest thrill out of, I was a Royal Knight, I was a Royal Crown salesman, and now I'm a Royal Ranger. So God is, he's been active in our lives from day one, you know. So a recent, and I think a real big, a real big miracle is that in September, I was taking the trash up the driveway. We have a 500-foot driveway with a slight incline, and I've done it for years. I would set the trash can on the edge of the car, hold it with my hand, drive up the driveway, clunk it on the ground. I must not have put it in park, or I bumped the thingy. I drug the trash can over to the road, turned around, and the car started backing down the driveway. And I thought, oh, no. And it started backing over to the, would have been the left-hand side of the driveway. And I thought, oh, good, I can go get it. So I ran over to it, and the door was open. And I knew, and the mistake I made now was I should have run further past the car and then got in the car. But when I got to the car door, I turned to go into the car. The car door knocked me down and ran over both of my feet. Oh, my gosh. It hurt so bad. So I'm watching the car, and it kind of stopped. I just ran over to get it, and then it's kind of stopped. And I thought, okay. So I got up to run, and my flip-flops were sloshing on my foot. So I kicked them off, ran over to the car. It switched and went to the other side of the driveway and down the thing. I ran about two-thirds of the way down the driveway, got in the car, called my daughter, because my cell phone was in my car. I had to go get the car. My son-in-law said, why would you ever chase that car? And I said, because my cell phone was in it, and I didn't want it hitting anything. So I called my daughter. They were out to dinner. I called my son. He was on call at the hospital. He's a nurse at Salem and works in surgery. So he was on call, and he didn't answer his phone. I drove down to the house, finally got my daughter so that she could hear me, And I said, I'm just going to drive myself down to the hospital. And I looked down at my feet, and the floor mat of my car was full of blood. I thought, well, I'm not going to drive myself. I'm going to call the rescue squad. And when I picked up my right foot, I had a blood bleed. It would go, it was shooting out blood. That's why I had all this blood, because I'm on blood thinners. The rescue squad came and put a compression bandage on it. And another guy came and said that I needed to go to St. Elizabeth Trauma Center because of the blood bleed. And I said, no, I don't need to. I said, they put a thing on it, and it's, you know, they would check the bandage. And they said, no, it didn't stop, so no. They, he said, but if you need surgery, they'll have to transport you to Belmont Avenue. And I said, I don't need to go to Belmont Avenue. Just take me to Salem Hospital. So when we get to Salem Hospital, my son says, met the ambulance at the back. of the Mom, what are you doing? I said, I'm fine. Just take me in the hospital. He said, no, you need to get transported to Belmont Avenue. He said, if you have to have surgery, I don't need surgery. Just take me in the hospital. They took me in the hospital and x-rayed, no broken bones, no nothing. I could have laid out there and bled to death. I could have had who knows what kind of broken bones. God was so good through that whole thing. I mean, still today I have, they don't like being bent. Every week they're better and better than they were since September. Bless my daughter's heart. She's wonderful. She's such a great kid. I stayed at their house for a month because at first I couldn't walk. So that's my latest miracle. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) 
for all of what oh, could have been. Yeah, and I'm glad you're here. And I've been able to tell people how good God was to me through that. Mm-hmm. You leave with some testimony on that one. That people that live at the end of the driveway who could have seen me weren't home. Yeah, God's been very good to me. And George and I talked about it so many times. I hope when we get to heaven, we get to see all the times he interceded and protected us and showed us. And it's been very hard losing him in that he was a part of my life from the time I was 13 until when he passed. It'll be five years in October. And it's nothing you can ever be prepared for. I just felt like half of my half of me was ripped away. And when I would get up in the morning, I would listen because I slept upstairs in the and he slept. We put built a room on the house for him. Even after he passed, I'd be coming down the steps and listening to see if he was awake because that's what I had done. And every every evening we would have supper and go into his bedroom. He had a hospital bed. I would get in bed with him and we'd watch TV together. And so when he did pass, we were like shocked that it happened so fast because we had figured he was going to live forever. I mean, a long time. It's a hard thing and it, and there's no way you can prepare for it. Just can't. So I'm done. <laughs> Which is blabbing forever. Oh no, your life is so fascinating. Those were amazing stories. Thanks for bringing that all in. You are not at a loss for stories. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've got plenty of them. But thank you. Well, Marilyn, we're so happy that you came in and spent some time with us this morning and happy that you're at the upper room and have found a place to call home for your church and appreciate you. Keep telling people your stories because when you hear stories, other people's stories about what God has done, it increases everybody else's faith. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye!